You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. I'm very excited to be joined today by Dr. Angie Mian. She has served as a nursing director for Children's Medical Services at the County of Los Angeles' Department of Public Health and is currently an adjunct nursing professor in Los Angeles. Dr. Mian is a past president of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses and served as a committee member on the Future of Nursing 2020-2030 National Academy of Medicine report. She currently serves as a member of the Chamberlain University Board of Trustees, as vice president of the National Council of Ethnic Minority Nurses, and is a member of the American Academy of Nursing Cultural Expert Panel Committee. Dr. Mian holds both her bachelor's and master's degree in nursing from California State University and earned her doctor of nursing practice degree from Western University of Health Sciences. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mian. Thank you for having me. Um, So we'll start with my regular question for everybody I I talk to is how did you decide that you're going to enter into the profession of nursing? So I wanted to start by sharing with you that actually, I didn't always want to become a nurse. I actually wanted to become a teacher. So when I graduated from high school, I actually went straight into, um, straight over to Cal State LA and started um, uh, attending for my general ed. And I wasn't able to, um, I didn't feel that I was prepared. I didn't feel comfortable there. I didn't. So what happened is I actually dropped out Wow! and I got a job at LA County USC Medical Center as a clerk starting out. And there I was able to observe the nurses work in the women's health uh, emergency room because I worked really close with them. And that's when I was inspired to become a nurse, just watching them work and saying to myself, you know, I can do that, you know, and that's how I returned back to school. But I actually had to go back to community college to do my general ed because I felt more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I felt like I uh, could do it there. So I did my prerequisites and at East LA College. And then I um, applied at LA County School of Nursing. And uh, really, my whole life has been surrounded by uh, LA County. So that's how I became a nurse. And later I went on and went back to Cal State LA to get my bachelor's and my master's degree. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're both alums of Cal State LA. Yes. Outstanding. Um, so um, tell me a little bit more about why you felt uncomfortable uh, at when you initially started your career path at Cal State LA? I did not feel prepared. I had no one to reach out to, to guide me. Um, I was the first one in my family to attend college. Mm-hmm. No one in my family had ever attended. I couldn't speak with my parents. I couldn't speak with my older sister. I... It, 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 you know, I hadn't really made any um, strong relationships. I really, you know, I felt very alone. And when I say I didn't feel prepared is, for example, we would be in class and um, you would have to prepare a speech and go up there. And I just felt so terrified looking at this class, you know, because it just normally didn't look 
like the high school that I just came from, where we were all, we all looked the same. Right. You know, I graduated from Garfield High School. And there I felt very challenged and very, I felt very intimidated. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, uh, but you felt, you felt comfortable at the community college. You yes. Went to. Is that because of the population it was serving or? I, now, you know, when I think back now, I believe so because the majority and, and maybe, yeah, because I went to uh, school in the evening because I worked during the day. So when I returned, I went, so it was a, a whole different population. Right. The majority of them were working just like me and the majority of them were Hispanic. And, um, you know, things have changed a lot, but uh, back then for me, that's that's just the way I feel. And I haven't shared this story with a lot of people. You know, people ask me, you know, where'd you graduate? And you just, what you just finished reading. And um, I really had to uh, think back, you know, did I, you know, how, how did I get into nursing? How did it start? And it started at, at when I was working as a clerk at LA County USC. That's amazing. Um, uh, I, um, it's, it's strange, like a, a few people I've had on the show started out as clerks uh, at a, at a, usually a, a medical center or a hospital, including, well, I, I was a corpsman in the Navy for, for 10 years, but then my first job, uh, actually my second job out of the Navy, uh, was I was a ward clerk for one of the yeah. Kaiser facilities. Uh, and I worked there for a few months, uh, not very long at all, uh, just because of scheduling purposes, but that's a whole different story yeah <laughs> uh, but, but but yeah but it's it's uh but it's those individuals those interactions and those experiences that we have yes uh, with 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 uh with nurses that a lot of time recruit future nurses into the profession um it's very interesting that you talked about uh seeing people uh, because this this uh, season's uh, uh, of the podcast is dedicated to uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and you mentioned not feeling, uh, you know, necessarily belonging just because you didn't necessarily see people that looked like you, and it's one of the reasons I use these podcasts in my courses because I want to make sure that my students see people that look like them on in the world of nursing, really being influencing where the nursing profession is going. Um, so before I get into all that though, but you went on to get your graduate degree and your doctoral degree, what were the influencers that pushed you, uh, towards getting those degrees, uh, as you were in the profession of nursing? Right. So, um, some of it was internal myself, you know, once I felt more confident when I graduated from the school of nursing. And I made, uh, I bonded with some of my um, friends because at Cal State, when I was, when I had started the first time at Cal State LA, I wasn't able to quickly make friends. And um, we kind of encouraged each other, you know, this, I want to continue, you know, they could, I keep hearing in the nursing world that we are not to stay here with our ADN or diploma um, RN, we need to continue on and get our bachelor's degree and so forth. So I myself felt uh, very motivated, but I think what helped me is that I had uh, a friend who I was an OB, she was a pediatric nurse, and we said, we're gonna go ahead and, and, and continue together. So uh, we, we uh, bonded and we were able to help each other with classwork and for example, she was she uh, did, did was did not have a shy bone in her body. You know, she was Latina too, but she was this tall uh, uh, Latina. And um, she felt very confident in speaking and I felt very confident in preparing the coursework or reading and, and writing and so forth. So together we made a good um, a good a good um, team. So that's how we got through um, through with our bachelors. And then we told each other, we need to continue. You know, um, I'm going to get my oh, a women's health nurse practitioner. You're going to get your 
pediatric nurse practitioner, and we continued on uh, together. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and I'm sure you're still connected with that person. Actually, my friend passed away. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm that's so why sorry. I said she was, yeah. But um, um, I think that's that's what got us through. And I know we're going to talk about um, a non our organization as well. And as soon as I uh, became a nurse, I quickly joined uh, that organization too, where you get lots of um, inspiration and motivation to to continue. Just like you said earlier, you see people that look like you and look at how advanced they've come, look at their career. And hopefully if they can do it, I would tell myself you can do it too. That's great. That's great that you uh, have that had that support system uh, as you went along that journey. Um, now let's go back to uh, um, sort of your the the inclusion piece of, of how how much you felt uh, a part of of the system um, or didn't feel part of the system. Um, I just want to explore this with you a little bit. Okay. Uh, just because um, nursing, you know, historically has been primarily a female a white female dominated profession. Uh, uh, something that is that we're hopefully seeing uh, somewhat somewhat more diverse population, uh, but you know, um, uh, and and again, hence that's why there's several different organizations that specifically call out specific ethnicities, um, and uh, why why are we? I mean, the, the profession is has been around for a while. Why right. has it taken? this long for a profession of nursing, do you think, to kind of say, oh, we're not diverse enough. Uh, <laughs> and we're not necessarily representing the populations that we are serving. Why do you think that is? You know, when I think about it, I think, you know, they didn't see it as something important. I don't think, I think that nurses, nursing does know that there are certain populations that that are underserved, that are underrepresented, that um, have more illnesses than than the white population. But I don't really uh, believe that they um, saw it as something important that we needed to fix or take care of. And I really believe that most recently with all the different uh, incidents that have occurred in the last few years, starting with the pandemic, where we it was actually put right in our face what populations were dying and what was causing them to die. And I believe that the uh, Future of Nursing report that just came out kind of um, further uh, showed evidence that yes, we we um, when it comes to health and healthcare, we don't get equal access. We don't get uh, the same uh, quality outcomes that all of us in our everyone should automatically get. Right. And I think that um, hopefully, because I do see a lot of movements in many organizations and many um, places, they're bringing in, uh, all, I keep hearing they're bringing in a new DIA, DEI director, they're developing their mission statements, but uh, then in, in back of me, I start thinking, okay, so... How, how, how is this going to continue? You know, or yeah. is the movement, I think it's a movement that's happening right now. Yeah. And is it going to continue? That's what worries me. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I, I was actually just speaking to uh, one of one of the guests that's going to be on later on in the season um, about a similar, about a similar thing about how there, you know, the, Nursing has, you know, uh, it's 
I think what you're addressing is, is sort of, is this just the flavor of the month? Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, is this the new thing that we're going to like every conference is, is diversity, equity, it's, inclusion. That's all you hear. Yes. All the white papers are now equity, diversity, inclusion, all the poster boards are equity. So how long will this last or is next year going to be something different and this is going to be forgotten about? Uh, and I do agree with that. Um, because nursing, if, if we look at things, nursing has a bad habit of doing things like that, uh, where we jump on the bandwagon and then next year there's something else and everybody shifts gears. Um, I think part of it has to do is where funding is. <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, where the money is and if the work of EDI or DEI, which are one you're, mm -hmm. um, you're prescribing to is going to be uh, what uh, drives the work, right? Is where the funding is and how much of that is going to drive the work. Uh, so I agree with you on that part. Now the 2020, 2030 report you mentioned uh, came out uh, and, I, and, and I, I've, had a ma I've managed to really take apart the 2010 report uh, when it first came out. You know, I've ha I had about a decade to do that, but since the 2020-2030 report came out, I have gone through it, not in as much detail as the one before, but something I've continued to express is how is nursing doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the answers that I've gotten in the past is, well, like, nursing is already doing this. We just need to be, we just need to account for it, where I feel like Nursing is not necessarily doing all this because some of the work, like you mentioned, the diversity of the workforce. Uh, yes, we have uh, people in place to um, uh, that organizations have hired, and I'm glad that they're doing that. I think it's fantastic because it's something that needs to be addressed. But having that director or that position in place, how is it actually moving the needle on making the workforce more diverse? Right, like where are we doing the work? Um, since you you were the uh, the president of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, and now you are uh, the vice president, vice president, am I correct? Yes, yes, right. correct. Uh, for for the uh, for the for the uh, National Council of Ethnic Minority Nurses, which if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a combination of all the, uh, the other uh, organizations that are just five. Uh the five organizations from different ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, so, um, so you, you, you are working with what, what, what does the profession of nursing really need to do to move the needle? Because again, I think it's great that we're putting people in place where we're giving them the title of DEI and it's being, it's happening on a sort of like a campus or institutional level. Um, how is the national uh, sort of movement happening to move the needle on a national level? So to 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 continue to increase the diversity within the workforce, right? Is that right, what we're talking right. about? Exactly. So I think that we need to first start out with, um, in order. You know, this is the whole reason that I have always been part of uh, the National Association of Hispanic Nurses is because, like um, I said earlier, when I became a nurse and then I went on to the unit at LA County USC, because like I said, that I that's where I spent my entire life. When I went on to the unit, what did I see? I saw what you were just talking about is that all the Hispanics were that were on the unit where I worked all the Latina Hispanics were either custodians or they were the clerks. They were the unit clerks. They were our CNAs. That's who they were. So that immediately encouraged me to go to join the National Association and do something about this. So I think that that's where we need to start because if you look at our numbers, even though Hispanics, Latinos are the largest uh, minority group in the United States, we represent, I think the last census was 18.9, almost 19%. Yet uh, uh, we still only represent 7.4% of the registered nurses. Right. And even though 
what you just said earlier, yes, many organizations are trying to move, trying to recruit more uh, people, people of color into the field of nursing. And yes, there has been an increase of Hispanics and others. But if you look at our statistics, we're not graduating. Where so we need help there. We need um, we need to actually, you know, we talk a lot about pipe having pipelines into the school of nursing and um, recruiting. So we have to be more intentional on how we recruit and provide all the support that that they need. Because as you know, uh, when we ask students what is the biggest barrier to getting into the school of nursing, it's financial. And then of course, then it's um, giving them academia support, giving them resources that they need and so forth to help them uh, stay in school and then graduate. And if we don't start there, we're never going to uh, increase the number of Hispanics into the field of nursing. Right, um, I agree. Um, now, when do you okay. think that, now I know you talked about academic support at in higher education, but when do you think the actual uh, exposure to the profession needs to happen in uh, the underserved communities or underrepresented very, communities? Very early, very early. It needs to start at least minimum at uh, the junior high level, intermediate mm -hmm. school level to guide them because many, uh, and when I say we're not prepared, is no one goes, no one advises us, no one is counseling us and saying, you need to make sure that you take science, that you um, do well in math, because you're gonna need those in order to get into these programs. Right. And nobody ever told, uh, 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 told me that in fact, usually when you go to a counselor in high school, they're either are not aware, they don't have the information because we've done a lot of um, career days at high, in high schools and the teachers themselves and, and they tell us, you know, the counselors don't know all this information here that you're telling us that these students are gonna need in order for them to um, get into a, a school of nursing. They haven't taken any, uh, they haven't focused on any of those um, courses that, that they need. And um, and so if, if the counselors, the teachers don't know how to advise them, then how do they get this information? Very true. And then, yeah. I, and then I, I wonder too, um, Dr. Type, I wonder sometimes, so how are these other students, the white students getting this information? I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. Right. And I, I think it has to do with, uh, uh, I, I agree that, that the students are not getting exposed enough or yes. getting any exposure at all to the profession. Right. Um, because if you, if you look at it, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go to, uh, doctor, uh, doctors tend to be a thing, engineers, so mm -hmm. everything, but nursing is not necessarily represented. Uh, and I think it has to do with the lack of information within the school systems of what nursing actually requires. Because we have probably, uh, I mean, admission systems, that's a whole nother okay. animal that, that needs to be addressed of how are we admitting students into programs? Um, because just the GPA alone, um, and it goes back to resources again, right? Like the people mm. that are getting into most of the nursing programs, even though they are, they may be first uh, generation, uh, more than likely most of them are born in the US and their parents are doing okay uh, to, you know, as far as, you know, making, they've been around long enough to be able to do some of those guidance, give them some guidance. Uh, but my concern is, and this is something I've, I've, I've talked to, I was briefly, uh, uh, chair of the undergraduate program um, at my previous uh, uh, institution. And one of the things that I saw were people that were contacting me had never 
had for example didn't have the resources as you mentioned their parents mm -hmm. didn't know uh what you know they were not uh they were you know most of them had like one at least one if not two jobs uh hardly around to even you know think about guiding their they're they're very dependent on the school systems uh to guide their kids to what they're going to do in life uh and i think the students that may be finding out uh have have that home support more Right. Um, then again, this is just my own speculation of the matter of how people are finding out. Um, I know, I mean, uh, my own daughter, um, she's 13, but she's, but she's, she, she's a, she'll go online and she'll dig information up, uh, on her own, Mm but -hmm. she still, if she still has questions, her mom and I are still around and we can guide her through the process. Uh, but she'll find like, she's already planning high school, like from beginning to end, uh, Wow. So I think I think it has it, it really has to do with you know uh, the availability of uh, of that guidance which is often missing and I agree with you I think it needs to start in junior high uh, because by the time they get to the university it's almost too late Right. right uh, Right. because they have to go in, they have to have some kind of background even with is with entrance exams and you know some schools are now you know getting rid of the SATs but even the SATs. And all of that, I think there's a process and thinking about where the money is going to come from. All this stuff Right. that is just not being shared enough, uh, in my Right. opinion. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your input on that. Um, now, can you tell us a little bit about the National Association of Hispanic Nurses? I've been uh, lucky enough to work with you a few times and attended some of your local conferences that you have in L.A. Uh, so can you share a little bit about uh, that organization and opportunities for people that, for example, if, um, if people are looking to join, what are the opportunities for them? Okay. So uh, like I said earlier, I joined the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, the Los Angeles chapter immediately after I became a nurse and I have been involved ever since. And the purpose of NON is to one, um, re to recruit, to um, assist Hispanic students, nurses, to continue um, to progress in their career, to advance. Uh, there's lots of educational programs for our communities. And most of the work is done at the chapter level. National is kind of like the umbrella, but the um, sometimes they'll get the large grants and then they'll distribute them to the chapter so that they can go out and, and do this work. And I can give you one example of one of the grants that I received when I was at uh, president. And uh, it was an NIH grant for, uh, I believe $1.2 million to increase, help increase the number of Hispanic nurses into the field of nursing. And at that point, I think we only represented maybe like 3.5, 3.7%. That was back in 2012. So what I did is it was a five-year program. And what we did is we did something similar to what you're doing here is we interviewed, we did um, uh, videotaping of students and asked them, what were your challenges? What were your barriers? And how did you solve them? You know, um, so we did various different topics And we would uh, put them on um, that, those free radio stations to kind of put out messaging. And um, so every year at every conference, we would recruit students throughout the country because that's where all of the chapters, I think right now we have maybe 44 chapters, we get together once a year. So that was a great opportunity for me to interview um, uh, maybe 20 students at a time. And then from there, we developed the um, presentation on um, that we use to go out to the schools and um, speak to the students either in high school or at um, uh, CNA programs and let them know what the field of nursing is about, that it's a career, 
how do they prepare, what is the cost, what are the benefits of becoming a nurse, and so forth. And um, that program, um, it, it was the presentation uh, was is is I'm hoping that it's still currently used throughout um, all the chapters and and so forth. And we do education to the communities that, as well. We have when Miss Obama had that um, the program that she developed, uh, Let's Move. We did it in Spanish and we put Muevete. Oh wow! Yeah. So we did a program, uh, another program that was for five years, and we uh, provided education to parents and children about obesity. And we had like five different topics we discussed with them. For example, um, how do you uh, how do you read a label? The FDA and everything's already done for us. We didn't create anything. We used what's already been um, determined that it's. Um, that it's appropriate. How to use my plate? What is uh, the difference between uh, exercise and physical activity? And how to set goals and so forth. And uh, then we would give them lunch and we would role model. This is what healthy food is. You know, we drink water instead of a can of soda and, and so forth. And then if they attended all five classes, we would. Um, raffle out a bike for a girl and a boy so that program still continues in the chapters you know even though we don't the funding ran out after five years they those are the so those are the activities that uh, an example of the activities that we do but for someone uh, like I said earlier that's already a nurse and wants to help these are the, the uh, types of um, programs and activities that they can help us and we needed a lot of help because like you, like I said earlier, the high schools need this information. The CNA programs need these informations because I really believe that the CNA programs or the medical assistant programs can be a pathway into nursing because they're already dedicated caring um, members of society, you know, that that care for people. And you see it when you go to the uh, physician's offices. Yeah. Um, now, it, we sort of touched on this, but some of the barriers um, to individuals going into, into nursing is uh, money and time. Yes. Um, time's a big one. Time's a big one, especially- Yeah, the students, for... I remember when we asked, one of their biggest uh, challenges was especially with Latinos, we are supposed to be at everybody's party, at everybody's birthday, at, at all the family gatherings, right? Right. And they would say, you know, they're mad at me. They won't talk to me because I can't go anymore. So, you know, we have to teach them, you know, before, as soon as you start, this is what you go out and you tell your family. You're not going to see me for the next two years, but when I get breaks, I will be there. <laughs> exactly. Um so from a nursing from a nursing perspective, because we always, you know, uh, it's one of, it's one of my one of my pet peeves when you know we talk about let's increase diversity, let's increase diversity. Uh, same thing, you know, when we talk about you know uh, graduate, uh, uh, you know, uh, like increasing PhDs and bachelor's mm -hmm. degrees and all this stuff that came out of the twenty ten report. Um, how do we do this when? when the funding isn't supporting uh, what we need to do because institutions, for example, some institutions will have like tuition reimbursement. Uh, I know there's some organizations in like in Southern, in actually in, uh, I'll just go ahead and name them, Kaiser, for example, has through their Ben Hudnall's, uh, they have money that they'll buy out a day of working or something like that. Um, so that's a little bit of time, a little bit of money. Uh, but when we talk about, you know, like when, you know, something like a bachelor's degree, one day a week is not going to cut it, right? So from a profession that is trying to diversify the workforce, uh, just encouraging people <laughs> to do it <laughs> isn't going to work, right? Or if I can buy out one day out of your thing, it's fantastic. It's an extra day that I didn't have. But it's not, how does the healthcare profession really invest and pay uh, 
the nursing workforce to diversify, right? Because that's really what we need to do. We need to provide time and money because those right. are, are two big barriers. It's not necessarily people don't want to become or come into the profession, but when those two obstacles are there, it becomes problematic. So how do we address it from a, I don't want to, I don't want to just put it on nursing, but from a healthcare, healthcare yeah, it, profession perspective. I think it has to be our employers, our organizations. They're the ones, you know, there are programs. For example, at the county, when I was there, they would give us reimbursement um, every quarter. Um, and I know that other programs, for example, in, uh, in New Orleans, because I'm in the Chamberlain board and I hear about all the different programs and their employers are actually paying for a group of their, for example, LVNs to go into the RN program, the BSN RN, because uh, Chamberlain only has BSN um, to become to become nurses. They're actually uh, putting them through and they're guaranteeing them a job there when they graduate. So those type of things are, is what we, our employers need, need to uh, offer. Yeah. If they really want, you have to be intentional. Just like we keep saying, if you want a diverse faculty, you have to be intentional. You know, we we're looking for you, you know, you know, invite them and then treat them well when they, when they join you. That's another thing is retention, <laughs> right? It's the retention of the faculty or, or you know, the workforce or of, of the yes. diverse workforce. Uh, it's actually one of the things that I ran into multiple times, uh, yes. unfortunately. Uh, not from uh, from, a, from a veteran perspective, not necessarily, uh, uh, but, you know, uh, all these organizations that are veteran friendly and they recruit veterans and you get an extra point in your a check mark and you know that, that I hired a veteran um, but retention of veterans and this is something I've I've dealt with myself and I know colleagues of mine who have dealt with it where where the behaviors of some of the individuals uh, of what is normal veteran behavior and talk and mannerisms is not perceived as you know um, it's not perceived well, right? Mm. We use like, for example, uh, we, we, we can very easily become animated to use our hands and, you know, raise our voice, not from yeah. anger, but from, from, from just trying to, uh, kind of point, get our point across right. or just trying to share, but it's just, it's normal, uh, communication style, which in the civilian community is not always seen right. and it's seen as aggressive where we're like I, I don't have that is not that was not an aggressive so so yeah so people's perception of even some some sometimes you know um, this I'll share an example with you of I shared a military experience with a colleague of mine and somebody overheard and they were um, and I had to go to HR and explain what I was talking about right <laughs> Um, I'm like, so it's stuff like that, like we can hire and bring in, but if we don't do our due diligence in creating a, an environment where people feel safe after we recruit them, uh, it becomes problematic, right? right. And people end up leaving, leaving the profession, leaving the institutions. So I think that's, that's a, that's a bigger, that's a bigger piece. Yes. Not yes. just getting them in the door. So yeah, yes. I, I definitely agree. Um, uh, now, the National Council of Ethnic Minority Nurses uh, is, if correct me if I'm wrong on this, um, it hasn't been around very long, right? It's It's been around, I know since about, I should know this, but I want to say at least since 2010. Right, I mean, compared to the other organizations. Yes. It's fairly new. Yes. Um, yes. Now this council, uh, what is what is the, uh, just for our audience, I know a little bit about it because uh, I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Dr. Um, uh, Grant, president of the ANA, uh, a couple of years ago, and he mentioned some of the work that he was doing with the, with the council. Uh, um, what is the work of this council uh, and what, what, are you, what are some of the things that you're hoping to achieve now? Right. So this this um, council doesn't have 
a membership. It's because it comes from the five nursing organizations and they uh, formed this console back a way back because we wanted to have a, a greater voice because it's, we all, all our organizations kind of exist for the same purpose because we're uh, nurses, minority nurses, minor, uh, uh, nurses of color who have had many challenges in getting into uh, many other nursing organizations. We, we don't always felt, felt welcome. So we felt that together, maybe we could make a, a bigger difference. And one of the biggest accomplishments that this organization has made, and this is back in 2010 for maybe five years, their big focus was to push the members of the five organizations to become PhD because uh, they felt, I wasn't part of, of this organization yet. They felt that um, yes, the 2010 uh, Future of Nursing report stated we needed to increase the number but we know that the more education you have the the more uh, hopefully the the easier the entrances to career development to career promotions to uh, research we need you know we need re research within our communities as well and the funding that they receive they um had several uh I want to say conferences that provided uh, a mentor to these PhD students to guide them through the process to make sure that they graduated, that, that they did uh, succeed. And I'm not sure what other resources they provided them, but that was a huge, huge grant that, that they had received. And currently now um, we're trying to, you know, because of COVID, many of our um, uh, activities kind of fell through, people weren't meeting. So we're trying to get it back going again. And we're um, going, our focus is gonna, is a policy. You know, what, what are the organizations, what are we doing to uh, move some of these uh, policies and advocate for our communities? So we're planning uh, a summit and it's all dedicated to advocating for uh, policies and moving all this work that we continue to speak about forward because many changes that, that need to occur have to be uh, uh, made by policies, right? Right, right, absolutely. Uh, now this, now is the work uh, of this council in partnership with the ANA or it's independent of the ANA? It's independent of the ANA. Okay. But we, um, many of our members may be part of the ANA. So um, we're closely connected, but we, but um, we're independent. So the work isn't, the work isn't being done in silos you're sharing, but uh, but yes. independent of each other, uh, yes. which which is which is great. Um, now, from a from an organizational membership perspective, um, and maybe we can put in a plug for for the National Association of Hispanic Nurses here. Um, what um, I, I I'm I'm huge on networking, even though I'm a I will say I'm a super introvert. Uh, I, I, it's, it's a learned skill that I, that I network with. I try to network with people, uh, not always successfully, but I, I do. Okay. Uh, but from a, from a, um, from an organizational perspective, what are the benefits, um, other than, you know, if I was, if I want to join an organization or I, it wasn't even on my thought. If you had to put in a plug for uh, for non or any other organization, uh, what are some of the benefits that aren't necessarily on the brochure? Hmm, that's a good question. So, um, so I'll talk about the National Association of Hispanic Nurses because I know that organization better than 
uh, any other, but, um, you know, like you said, what are our benefits? We have many benefits because um, we have different CE trainings. They provide webinars. Um, so you have, uh, you're able to get CEs and our, I'm sure you're familiar with our annual conference that we have throughout the United States. We don't hold it in the, in the same location every year. Every year we change it. So it might be on the East Coast and it might change to the West Coast and so forth. We try to rotate it. And there you have an opportunity to network, what you were just talking about with uh, several Hispanic and uh, professionals throughout that, that work, that live throughout the United States. And it's the, they're great connections because you actually make um, so many connections and you, you can um, um, connect with them and communicate with them. And, and, you know, if you're looking for a new job, if you're looking for new opportunities, but I think the biggest reason that I'm part of this organization is the work that we do locally. The work that we do locally where if I, for example, like if I myself said, okay, I'm gonna go knock in this school's door and ask them to let me talk about nursing. They won't as easily accept me if I, if I come and say, I'm part of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses. And this is one of the things that we do. We have this curriculum, we have everything, but, and it, it opens doors so that I can go in there and, um, and talk about nursing, trying to recruit uh, uh, students into the field. And then we have uh, several uh, partnerships with communities already established where they expect us to come and provide education to their population there. So um, just with the name that I'm part of the non, I feel like I'm eat more easily accepted and I'm, I'm eat more easily allowed to come and, and do the things that I would like to do in, in, in my community. That's great. That's great. Uh, and you yeah. know, we provide scholarships. Ah, there you go. I was about yeah, to we ask. <laughs> we were talking about money earlier. We provide, you know, local scholarships and national scholarships. Wow. So you have an opportunity and the national scholarships are pretty big. So that's the other um, benefit. <laughs> that It's always good. It's, it's always good to know. Um, now, now, just because organizations and one of the reasons I do this podcast, because I think it's got a, it's got a wider reach uh than some organizational or organizations um how do we encourage um how do we encourage individuals to be to join organizations right um like the, how does that happen like how did you decide uh, well i think we talked about it before a little yeah. bit but how do we encourage more participation in nursing organizations uh, other than you know uh trying to entice them by CEs. Uh, right, right. And I think that one of the things that we talk a lot about in, in uh, our organization is about bringing somebody along with you, always making sure you turn back around and you grab somebody's hand and maybe a second hand and grab two people and bring them along Yeah. and get, and, and get them involved. And I, I really believe that if, you personally invite someone, you know, come with me to this meeting, you know, and um, when they when they attend, they feel they tell us they feel motivated, they feel inspired, they they love to see the role models that that um, the speakers and and so forth, and um, we we need to do that work. We need to um, encourage them and bring them along because you're right. If you just sit there and give them a brochure. And, and you got to pay to be a member, you know, yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing, right? A lot of people are like, what I have to, because I've, you know, I, I was adding up my memberships the other day. I'm yes. like, oh my God, I'm dishing out some serious dollars here. Uh, 
that I'm like a big, I'm giving away, I'm giving away a vacation every year through to these, to these more, I have multiple memberships. And I was like, I'm like, I need to like wean some of these out or something. Uh, but, um, but, but I, I agree with you. I think it needs to happen on a one-on-one -on -one connection basis yeah. where we are, those of us who are part of organizations, encouraging other people to join. Mm -hmm. uh, but cost is an issue. Cost is definitely an issue. Yeah. Um, Dr. Grant had a great uh, 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 recommendation. They, he said, he said, ask for it as a graduation present, a membership mm. or, a, or ask for a birthday present, ask for these memberships to nursing organizations. So, um, so I'm, I'll, I'll repeat that again. Um, so thank you for your time. I'm, before I let you go, anything else you want to, you want to share, uh, no, I just think that uh, it's very important to be part of these organizations because sometimes we can't do make changes alone. But if we're part of an organization, it's just so much easier because the organizations have so many different talented people that you can connect with and uh, move your uh, whatever activity you would like to move forward, move it forward. Right. Right. I, I, I agree. Uh, and so many, I mean, and again, going back to the networking piece for me uh, has been invaluable because so many mentorships happen through that. And so many sponsorships happen through, uh, through, uh, just meeting people at these different organizations, the collaborations that happen, uh, I think are amazing. So I think we need to, um, we need to do, do better with, with how we're being more inclusive, uh, with, yes. with, uh, with everything we do. So thank you so much for your time. We've been uh, listening to uh, or speaking to uh, Dr. Angie Mian. Uh, thank you for joining us and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Tayeb. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.